0: Good morning to you. I was, uh, I was very happy that Terrence trusted me to help with the series, and then he gives me the six days of creation. Thank you, Terrence. The series is Who is God? And today's God is Creator. And uh, the passage, there are two passages today, and the first one, of course, is very long, and I trust that we can find it in our Bibles. It's page one. Um, in Genesis 1, and I'm actually going to ask you uh, not only to follow along, but each time the passage does talk about the end and the beginning of a day, I'm going to ask you to read it with me. So obviously then uh, when it says in the evening and the morning with the first day, the second day, the third day, I'm going to ask you to read that with me so that it's a conspiracy. I want to make sure you're following with me. So we're going to read the entire chapter of Genesis, and then John 1, I'll bring that back in uh, later in the message near the end, so you'll know when I'm almost finished, when I bring in John 1. So this is God's word. Let's turn to Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is their seed, and each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which there is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens, And God set them in the the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth, The sixth day. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we marvel at your word, that you would give us your word, inspired, written through Moses, who was not there, and yet you gave it to him, and you've given it to us. Lord, we pray that you would teach us exactly what you would have us know. There are many mysteries, many things we do not understand, many things we argue about. We pray that you would teach us what we can know even though there are things we cannot know, and give us clear implications for what we must know and what our response will be. I pray that you would help me and you would help us to have open hearts and minds, that you would teach us and exalt your Son, Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. Well, as you see quite clearly, Genesis does say that God created the world In six days, and this is affirmed as well uh, in the institution of the Sabbath. And you'll even see, even before the command specifically is given, that the Sabbath is observed. And the reason, of course, the seventh day, the Sabbath, is because God God created six days and rested on the seventh. Now, if you if you hold to the inerrancy of Scripture, as we do in this church, uh, you you cannot simply look at Genesis and say. Well, this is just a story. It's just a myth. You know, it's not science. So we're going to ignore what's there and simply say, this particular chapter, it's, it's, not, it's not real. We're going to ignore it entirely and just move on. We, we know that we can't do that. Um, you, can't, you can't simply say the only thing we're supposed to get out of Genesis is that God created everything. Okay? That, that's not an option. We, we cannot do that. Um, it, it, the text is more specific than that. If you believe in the inspiration of Scripture, what we're not going to do is say, well, Moses, whom we believe wrote Genesis, I mean, Jesus says that, um, well, you know, he wasn't a scientist, and he didn't understand, and, and God just showed him some pictures, and he just wrote what he could, because that is not what Scripture teaches, and that would not be treating Scripture as God's very word. So this is not an option. If the Bible is truly God's word, If he spoke it for us to believe, it says God created in six days. Is it as simple as that, though? Is it as simple as six 24-hour days? For many Christians, yeah, that's it. Just look at it, six 24-hour days, and that's the way that we're supposed to understand it. Genesis 1 definitely makes it clear that God created out of nothing by his word. Now, the arguments that we have are how literally we are to take the six 24-hour sequential days. There is no question, I hope, among believers that God can and could have quite literally created in six 24-hour days. So what we have is then the two arguments over old earth and new earth. Did he do it that way or did he not? Now, I don't know that I'm going to solve the problem this morning, but I do want to talk a little bit about that. You have fundamentalists, some, and there may be some here, that actually believe that the devil created fossils and hid them there to deceive people so that people think the earth is ancient, but it really isn't. I, I, I didn't hear that one until about 20 years ago, and I was quite surprised. Okay, So I, I'm going to reject that one straight out. That that's that I don't think any of us probably believe that. Um, but in, in order... Uh, we, we have a question of uh, is the earth like thousands of years old or is it millions and millions or actually billions of, of years old. Now, if you believe that the earth is very, very ancient, then as you look at scripture, you have a couple of choices. You can believe that it's either pure fiction, which we're going to reject, right? Or that you must treat it as poetry or symbolic, okay? And so when you look at the word, Day, okay, the most common interpretation in order to interpret a very old, old, old earth is to say when scripture uses the word day, yom in Hebrew, it's symbolic of a very long period of time, okay? And many of you hold that view. There are some problems with it, and I need to mention the problems with that, okay? One is that Nowhere else in Scripture is the word used that way. It just isn't. Okay? Every other place in Scripture that yom, day, is used, it means a day, a regular, normal period of time. Now, you might say, oh, no, 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 I know Second Peter 3, 8, where it says that for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. But that's not that God gets confused about the terms, Okay, that he can't tell the difference. What that really is referring to is God's patience, that he can wait a very long time, and for him, a day, a thousand years, it doesn't make a difference. But it's not like he interchanges the terms and is somewhat confused by them. So it, it's, it's significant. Now, it's not that it can't possibly be used that way in Genesis 1. Okay, it's just that it isn't used that way anywhere else. So that's, that's a concern, okay? I'm not saying it's a slam dunk, but it's a concern that is not used that way anywhere else in Scripture. So that's one possible problem. But the second, and I think this is a greater concern, is that if the earth is extremely old, millions, billions of years old, then death has occurred. Death has been occurring then for all this period of time. Theologically, this is a problem. Because when does death occur according to Scripture? As a result of the fall. This is a problem, okay? And for me, actually, that's the biggest problem I have, okay? How does death occur prior to Adam and Eve's sin? Because that's the result of the curse, okay? So this this is a significant problem. The third problem, which doesn't strike most people, it seems, as the issue, is this. When you read Genesis 1, and I had us read it together, it doesn't strike me as poetic. It's a narrative, it, it, it doesn't. I realize we had the repetition, and the evening and the morning, but Hebrew poetry has different structures and parallels, and, and it, it doesn't actually read that way. Even though it has the repetition of, and the evening and the morning, we also have genealogies, and so-and-so lived so many years, and he died, and so-and-so. So you have repetitions like that, but it, it reads like a regular narrative. There's no clue that this is a poem. So... The old, old earth has some problems just in reading Genesis 1 and theologically according to death. But the new, young earth obviously has problems when we compare it to science. and We say, well, what are we supposed to do when we look and observe at old, old fossils and dating and, and so on? What do we do with that? Now, I'm not a scientist. There's a lot that I don't understand. Young earth... Young Earth um, proponents say, well, first of all, there are some questions as to apparent age. How old is a mountain when God creates it? How old was Adam when he was created? Uh, we then talk about um, what happened as a result of the flood. Okay, the catastrophe and what happens. Even Mount St. Helens that took place in 1980, how geological layers were formed within hours and within days. Now, in some ways, I'm talking over my head, and I'm sure I'm going to hear from some of you this week, okay? But there are problems with both views in that we're trying to treat Scripture as this is God's Word, okay? And this most, the most natural reading is six days. Now, the 24-hour That I wouldn't stick to too closely because the sun is not created until the fourth day. That that one doesn't concern me, by the way, because God is light, and the idea that he's creating light until there's a sun, that, that one doesn't bother me at all. I don't know what he did, but that doesn't bother me that he could have light and dark prior to creating a sun that rules over it. So, sure, there are remaining questions. What we can't do is simply say, Okay, I reject Genesis 1 that God did not create. Okay, what we must look at is that God did, in fact, create. So, yes, you can probably tell which way I lean. I do lean toward a six-day literal, not without some questions, but we don't bind your conscience on that. We don't. And our ministers are able to hold the six-day literal or six-day age. Okay, they are able to do that. So we don't bind your conscience on that. So I'm not trying to do that to you. I'm just saying, but what we must do is to look at Scripture and say, this is God's Word, and it's teaching that God did create, and that is extremely important. Now, when we throw in evolution, that's where we have a problem. Now, evolution in itself approaches normally in a very godless way and say evolution took place by chance, by procedures of mutation and natural selection and survival of the fittest and so on, without God in the picture. That we reject. And intelligent design is normally rejected entirely. as Well, that's outside the sphere of science. And then there's theistic evolution that says, well, God guided this process, which we also reject. And part of it, the reason is... God created Adam and Eve, particularly, directly from the dust, not from ancestors. He created them from the dust, the Scripture says. So we do reject that. So Genesis 1, what we we have to conclude from that is God did create, very directly, all things from nothing. And what are the implications of that? And that really is what I'm getting after this morning. What are the implications that God is the creator, that he created all things? Because we cannot and must not get around that. And I only have time for two. I had more, but I had to shave it. There are, only, there are two application, implications that I want to talk about this morning, that God is, in fact, the creator. And here's the first one. If God is the creator, and he is, then the first implication is that he is the one who determines the meaning of life. He is the one that determines the meaning of life. Now, let's for a moment talk about the idea that God did not create. So a secular view of maybe evolution, that God actually is not involved at all, or maybe there is no God, we have a problem. If there is no God, then all of what we see came into existence by chance without a plan. And if that's the case, then how can, then what is the meaning of life? Nothing. There, there, there can be no meaning to life if life simply developed with no direction, no design, no plan. How can anybody say life has a meaning? And your life, how can anybody say that your life has a value of any type? Why is your life any more important than a mosquito's? How can anybody say that? And if you look at sometimes what happens with animal rights, animal rights sometimes have more rights than an unborn baby. And and that's a logical implication if we are not created by God, if we simply came into being. Who's to say that we have any dignity to life? What's wrong if one group of humans who are not created by God wants to enslave another group of humans? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with genocide? What's what's wrong with making a certain group sit on the back of the bus? What's wrong with that? If there is no value to human life, then you can't criticize any of those things because there's no dignity, there's no value to human life because it doesn't come from anywhere. Because evolution can't add to that. There's no purpose, there's no meaning. Evolution the only thing they say we live for is what? To pass on our genes. And, and everything is always explained that the survival of the fittest in all life, the whole goal is to pass on our genes. Where does that even come from? Why is that even a good thing, to pass on genes? I, I don't even know why that would be a valuable thing, to pass on genes. And what about Morality? Even morality is often explained as, well, morality, generosity, and all that, that if it contributes to passing on genes, then it's a good thing. It, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. A very famous sentence is taken, and it's translated different ways because it's from the Russian, the Brothers Karamazov. Many of you know this. It's been quoted. Okay, uh, from the Brothers Karamazov, one of the, one of the um, characters says, if God does not exist, then what? What? Everything is permitted. Because if there is no God, nobody can claim a basis for morality. So if God did not create us, what have we in terms of the value of life, the purpose of life, the dignity of life? We have nothing. You see the problem. So if we acknowledge God as creator, he is the basis of all of our values, all of our ambitions, all of our meaning. And so science can't answer those kinds of questions of why, why do we exist, what's the meaning of life. Science really shouldn't even try to address those kinds of things. God is very angry, very angry when people do not acknowledge his existence, Romans 1. When people do not give him the honor and the gratitude that he deserves, Romans 1 talks about that. God is very angry when people do that. And he says there is no excuse, Paul says, no excuse for somebody even observing what God has created and saying there's no God. Okay, Paul says it is impossible deep down in your heart to observe what God has created and say there is no God. Okay, I would say that evolution and atheism is usually driven by the desire not to bow to God. I don't want there to be a God, and then we find a way to live without there being a God. But there's no excuse for a believer to live as if we don't know what the meaning of life is. There's no reason for us as believers, assuming we are, to live as if we don't have a particular purpose for life. Now, Romans 3.23, many of us have that memorized. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, we know what the first part means, right? Okay, Biographically, autobiographically, we know what that means, right? All have sinned. Have we all sinned? Yes, we have all sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. Most of us do not know what that means. And if you look at commentaries... Uh, they don't even all agree on what that phrase means. We have fallen short of the glory of God. This is what I think it means. Okay? Now, good Presbyterians, we all know what the meaning of life is, don't we? Because the only catechism question we know is the first one, <laughs> right? What is our chief end? What is our purpose? Man's chief end is what? To glorify God and to enjoy Him. So what's your purpose for living? We exist to glorify God. We exist to give glory to God. So if anybody asks you what life's meaning is, boom, you've got it. I exist to give glory to God. There is no question of why you are living. So are you doing it? Is that what you're doing? Are you doing everything to give glory to God? Scripture says we must do everything to give glory to God. What does that look like? What does it look like that you're giving glory to God? Are your goals in line with I exist to give glory to God? I work to give glory to God. My passions, my values, my morals, my habits, my priorities are to give glory to God. The way I spend my money, the way I don't spend my money is in line to give glory to God. What I do, what I don't do, my leisure time, what I watch, what I will not watch, what I read, what I will not read is all in line with, I want to give glory to God. It should be observable. It should be observable. People should be able to look at you and say, they live differently. Okay? I mean, it should not be, they go to church. Okay? But it should be, they live differently because their priorities are different, because they know what the meaning of life is. Because God is the creator and they know it. And God has given them life's meaning. They know that their meaning of life comes from God who has created them. Now, on the other hand, we don't want to be confused with Mormons, right? Mormons are very clean living people. They make great neighbors. They make great employees, right? They, they tithe a lot better than you do, okay? I mean, they are really good people. And you don't want to be confused with a Mormon who just lives cleanly and is trying to work his or her way into heaven. That's not what we're about. So that's not the same thing. But is your life's passion not to be good enough to earn heaven, but to say, I love my Lord. He has saved me. I want to honor him. And everything I do is because I love him. And I want to give glory to him. There are many people who acknowledge God as creator, and it makes no difference in their life. This cannot characterize us. It cannot characterize us. We must be living in a way that gives honor and glory to God in all that we do. So are you glorifying God? Yes, in your obedience and areas of your life, in your sexuality and honesty, greed, generosity. Do you glorify God when life is comfortable and when life is really hard? If God's the creator, if God's the creator, he has every right to your full devotion and he alone is worthy of worship. Second implication, if God is creator, number one, then he is the one who establishes life's meaning. But if God is creator, then he is also the re-creator. If God creates, he also recreates. That's what he does. One of the things that Genesis 1 makes really clear is that everything God created was good. Did you see how many times it said that? And God saw that it was very good. And you look around at life, you look around at things that are created, and you say, I'm not sure that everything is really good. But they see, that's not the way God created when God created all things, everything was good. And yet now, what we see is less than good. How can there be sin and evil if God did not create that? Those are difficult questions you can ask Terence. <laughs> the simplest answer I can give you is that only God is incapable of evil. Only God. Okay, there is no evil in God. For God to do evil or be evil is impossible because then he would not be God. It's like asking, can God create a rock so big that he cannot pick it up? That's, that's, a, that's an illogical question. It's an inconsistency internally. Okay, those kinds of questions don't even make sense. You're saying, can God not be God at the same time? And, and it doesn't make sense. So God cannot be evil. He cannot create evil. But he created all evil things and all people all creatures good but you know angels chose to reject God you know Adam and Eve chose to reject God and there came sin it's complicated I'm not sure I've got it as Terrence he'll explain it to you but none of it, so none of his creatures are God and then we see evil come in. We see, we see creation even falling. Romans 8 says that creation groans, waiting to be redeemed. We see, we see climate. We see weather. We see climate. We see natural disasters, all as a result of sin coming in. So the earth right now, the world is not perfect, but it was created so. And God talks about, I'm going to redeem it. Revelation, the end of Revelation talks about when, when it's going to be recreated. But he does that to us too. This is the promise that he does for us. So right now, we see death, we see evil, we see people killing each other and hating each other, but it was not that way at the beginning, and it will not be so. God is angry at sin and the results of sin, but he recreates. And you know what? He planned to do so from the very beginning. This is also a great mystery. When Did God plan salvation? When? He planned from the foundation before the foundations of the earth were laid. Before. It wasn't like, oh no, look what they did. What am I going to do now? God planned from before the foundation of the earth. So that means before the earth was created, before Eden was created, before Adam and Eve were created, before they fell, God knew what he was going to do. Now, yes, that raises other questions. Did he plan the fall? I can't get around that one. I can't get around that one. For his glory, he had to, because he could have stopped it, right? He he could have, but he didn't. I have to say, he he ordained it. He had to. I, I see no way around this. He planned this. He planned that this son would take your sins upon himself. From before the foundation of the earth, Ephesians 1, 4 says, Because God is the creator and the recreator. And he says, they will fall and I will recreate them. I will do that from before the foundation of the world. Because that's what he does. He planned to do it in an extraordinary way. Jesus was not plan B. He was the first plan. It was always the plan. He wasn't even plan C. Some of you think that God said, oh, um, tell you what, I'll give them the law and see if they can work that one out. Oh, that didn't work. I know. I'll give Jesus. No, Jesus was plan A. It was always the plan from before the foundation of the world. Do you know Jesus? Is Jesus your Savior? Because if he is, then before the foundation of the world, you were known and planned to be saved. Are you not saved? You may still. You may still be on the Father's heart knowing that he's going to save you, and you're just not saved yet. You can be, even today. Even today, you can surrender to the plan of God that he set from before the foundation of the world. Turn to John 1. Yes, I'm almost done. John 1. Find it in your Bible. I forget what page that is. Page 886, the first five verses. This is a remarkable Prologue to John that echoes Genesis. John 1, the first five verses, page 886. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus, the Son of God, was there at the beginning as God is creating, speaking. I don't even understand this, asked Terrence. I don't understand this. He speaks, and Jesus is the Word. So he's creating through Jesus, through the Son of God. I don't understand that. The Spirit's hovering over the waters. Jesus is there. The Trinity, right there at the very beginning. The Son of God was there salvation was planned even before that. The Son of God was there. Always God from the very beginning because Jesus was planned to save you. He makes all things new. That's what God does. He's the creator and he's the recreator. Are you broken? Are you broken? Some of you come here today feeling very broken. You might be physically broken but many of us, we're feeling emotionally broken from things that have been done to us or things that we have done that are completely our own fault. We're broken. God is in the business of recreating. Our biggest problem is our sin. And you can be forgiven instantly by surrendering and professing Jesus Christ. I don't promise that the brokenness gets all healed immediately. But what he does is he recreates us from that moment on, recreating us into the image of Christ from the time from now until we see him face to face, and then we'll be made perfect. He is in the business of recreating. Let him do that. Let him recreate you. If you've not experienced that rescue, it's available. He can recreate you. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Know that He is continuing that recreation in you. Let Him do that. Rejoice in it. Cooperate. Put aside complacency. You're being recreated by the work of the Holy Spirit because God creates and He recreates. He's the Redeemer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, You are the one who has created all things out of nothing. There is great mystery to it. We don't understand everything, but we know with a word you brought things into being, and with a word you proclaim that we are yours. Lord, I pray for anyone here that has not experienced that life change, that even now you would bring them into salvation. At the same time, I pray for anyone here that is struggling, feeling broken, and feeling far away from you, even though they've professed faith. I pray that you would assure them of of your love for them, and that you would continue for all of us that work of sanctification that you do. Bring us closer to you. Help us to glorify you, which we were made to do in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.